Good morning, church. As uh, Daniel read, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11, and our title for today's message is In With the Old and Out With the New. In With the Old and Out With uh, the New. So there's a little tradition started um, on uh, uh, my illustrations being called illustrations. So here's your uh, illustration for this morning. And right here, this is, um, you're looking at a photo of my bedroom. And my bedroom can connect through the bathroom. And what you're seeing on the other side is actually my younger brother's uh, room. The good thing about this setup is that uh, we, I don't have to walk down the hall um, to, to go and, you know, talk to him. I can just go straight through this bathroom. I have easy access to get to talk to my brother. Uh, the bad thing about this setup is that we actually share and are connected by um, this same bathroom. Uh, but as close as my brother and I are to each other in the house, and my parents as well, we don't physically go to talk to each other most of the time. We text and we phone call um, each other most of, of, of the time. It's just more convenient for us to do that. But what makes my brother or makes me get up from my seat, walk down to this room, go, go through to, to go and talk to him or down the hall and go and talk to him is when I or we have something really important we want to say, something so pressing, so encouraging that, that we will go and share it with the other person? What's the first and most important thing that you want to share with those around you? For me, I would go to my brother's door, I'd knock on his door, and he'd let me in, and I'll say, like, hey, bro, uh, the new Marvel movie's coming out. <laughs> and he'll respond with, like, which one and, and, and when. To me, that's important. And what gets me excited or assures me or motivates me uh, to, to go and spread this information with him is because I've seen the trailer. I know the date. I have the consistency of Marvel to be excited of this upcoming movie because of how good it's going to be. But, with, but me with news of a new Marvel movie coming out or my favorite show coming out is, is, my, is Paul with the gospel. You're probably thinking as, as my brother read that like this passage kind of came out of nowhere. Like just last week we were studying uh, the order of worship in church services. It's like, why are we now talking about the gospel all of, all of a sudden? But the fact of the matter is, Paul's actually been looking forward to get to here since the beginning of his message. Let me show you on the screen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as Paul speaks about his calling and ministry and addressing divisions in the church, he says that Christ sent him to preach the gospel. In chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, as he speaks on sexual, sexual immorality, he says that your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. When he speaks of the conscience in chapter 8, he says that weak brother or sister in Christ, that is whom Christ has died for. In chapter 10, as he speaks on, on communion, he says that the blood and the body is a participation with Christ. It's proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And in chapter 12, verses uh, 12 to 13, as he speaks on spiritual gifts, he reminds us that we are part of the body of Christ. There's one baptism that brought us into this body. Paul's here saving the best for last. 
being both obvious of his main concern and also dropping nuggets along the way. We're now finally here in chapter 15. We can mistakenly be looking at this book so concerned about all the other topics addressed, but for Paul, it's always been the gospel. And what assures him of why this message is the first and most important thing, the thing, the truth that makes him get up and go to Corinth in the first place, is that Jesus is alive, that he resurrected from the grave. In verse 14, Paul says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Jesus is not alive, then we're wasting our time. What Paul's doing is useless and what we believe in is useless. See, Paul writes this passage to specifically address the false teaching and beliefs that have been growing in the church that attacks the very assurance of the gospel itself. You can look with me in verse 12. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Then look at me down in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The resurrection is what assures the gospel. It gives us confidence for today and hope for tomorrow. To deny the resurrection is to deny all the promises that are found in the gospel. And that is a big deal. So in our passage, Paul gives us a reminder He gives a reminder to a people who already believe in the gospel of what evidences it, which is salvation and sanctification, what assures it, which is uh, the resurrection and the testimony of of, uh, the eyewitness testimony of, of the believers and what empowers the preaching of it, which is God's grace and presence. If there's one thing I want you to understand by the end of this message, up on the screen for you is our big idea, is that because the gospel is tried and true, it is the most important news. Because the gospel is tried and true, it is the most important news. So I have three truths to share with you as to why the gospel is tried and true and of first importance. So we're going to be flipping through our Bibles today. I have so many cross-references, so just to prepare you, we're playing a little sword in hand uh, today. So let me pray for us now. So Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. I thank you, word, that your word is consistent and accurate and that interprets each other. And I just pray, God, for your spirit to just work powerfully in me to communicate your truth, that it be an encouragement to uh, us Christians and uh, if there's if there's those that, that, need, that are hearing your word for the first time or the 40th time, that they come to know you and see that you, are, uh, that you are God, that you are good, and that you have spoken to us and have given us your word so that we come to know you and love you. So I pray that you be with me now. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so why is our gospel uh, a tried and true and the most important news? Uh, the first point is that uh, it has soul-saving effectiveness. The gospel has soul-saving effectiveness. You can look with me in verse 1. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You know, usually when you want to uh, 
want someone to have a different perspective on something, something or change their um, belief or view on something or bring them back to where they've gone off the rails. You would first tear down or point out all the flaws in the other view. But Paul doesn't do that here, at least not yet. He says he's reminding them. You see, he's actually speaking to a people who have forgotten, a people who think they have arrived, a people who, because they think they have arrived, have begun to adopt a new narrative as to the purpose of life and why they are here and how they got here. This is why Paul keeps bringing back the gospel in every single topic he's addressed. As we read in verse 12, false teaching began to spread that Christ has not been raised. And if there is no resurrection or life after this, then we are to live our best life now and just indulge in all that life has to offer. We'll just be spirits after this. But Paul's like, no. Like, what, what happened? You, you, you didn't believe this. Matter of fact, and what you believed in had tangible and good results and that there's a guaranteed outcome in what you believed in. Again, in verse 1. He says, the gospel I preach to you in which you received, in which you stand. And what brought this effect out is the gospel. The gospel just simply means good news. It's the top headline uh, in the newspaper, the most important, applicable piece of information for its audience. In 2019, our culture's good news was the fact that the Raptors won the NBA championship. In March, it was that mandates were, were, were lifted. But those gospels, those good news, they don't save souls. I, I saw the score for myself, or when I read the Ontario website for myself, that made me happy, that made me joyful, that made me proud, it alleviated some burdens, but that's about it. This good news that Paul preached, that the church still believes, affected a miracle to receive and stand, a miracle to continue being saved by this gospel. To receive is to believe, and to stand is to still believe. Still believing is the proof that you've received it, and the progressive change is the proof that you still stand. Paul says that we are being saved. In verse 2, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Let me show you what this looks like. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is, is teaching his disciples through a parable, an illustrative a story that teaches an important lesson. He tells us of different kinds of people and responses to the gospel when they hear it. I'm going I'm to give two for you. This is the rocky soil that Jesus speaks on. He says, other seed fell on the ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And in verse 17, he explains he says, and these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no roots in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. That's the rocky soil. And then Jesus speaks on the good soil here. He says in Mark 4, verse 8, he says, and other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. 
And then in verse 20, he says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Jesus says here that there are people who will hear the word audibly, but the word really doesn't really get deep enough in the dirt. It doesn't go into the heart, in one ear and out of the other, hearing to speak, not hearing to listen. Paul just established that the proof that you are receiving or believing is standing, which is still believing. A hard season came, and they no longer believe in what they believe in. They sprout it. They can say all the words. They can give the answers that we want to hear, but never really truly agreed with the good news for themselves. Hence why they fell away. They didn't just lose their belief. They never had it in the first place. First John chapter two says this to that. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. I think we all understand that we should not be quick to condemn, but we should not also be quick to justify as well. We have to at one point call a spade a spade, even if this spade is bearing fruit. Again, in verse 1, Paul says, the church you received in which you stand, there is soul-saving effectiveness here. When the good news is preached to us, we actually accept it. We agree with it. It's ours. We receive it. And even when life is hard and we're challenged, we still hold on to the fact that we have good news. And we still stand. And while we are still standing, something good is also happening to us. Paul says in verse 2, And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. As we still, as we still believe in the gospel and, re- and, re- and receive and obey God, Paul says that we are being saved. Something good is happening to us right now that is leading to a final and guaranteed result later. The gospel again gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. You're becoming more like Jesus until he returns and, 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 and we're rescued by him or when he calls us home when our life is over. You and I don't just believe once. He gives us a condition to this good change, that we are holding fast to the word preached. You see, continued belief is is not just the proof of standing, but it's also the means as well. God doesn't save us to complacency. The Christian life requires continued belief, continued acceptance and obedience to God's word, holding fast and holding tight to it. To believe in vain is to reveal that we never believed in the first place. Our true colors are shown. There is no perseverance. Question you can ask yourself is soul saving effectiveness, evidence in your life. The Bible teaches us to make your calling and election sure. Are you abiding? In God's word and holding fast to it and seeing your confidence in the gospel and hope for the future grow each day? Or have others seen it? Paul says, I have preached to you. He says that twice in these two verses, but he says, I'll remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believe in vain. Paul speaking to a plural. 
We actually need each other and should both be seeking to encourage one another and to also seek to be encouraged by others. Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 to 14 on the screen for you, says this. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence to firm to the end, to strongly encourage and remind others of the good news and its soul-saving effect is how we prevent and shorten seasons of unbelief in our lives and strengthen and lessen and, and lengthen seasons of barren fruit. Paul reminds the church for this effect, and we are commanded to do the same for one another. We can hold fast to this tried and true gospel. It has soul-saving effects. And for our second point is that the gospel also has faith-building evidence. The gospel has faith built in evidence. You can look with me now in verse three. Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Paul says he, he delivers what he received. He's just passing the ball. He's, it's his broken telephone played right but Paul didn't receive it like you and me. This is what he says in Galatians chapter one. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying that what he's preaching comes directly from God himself, as if he had some kind of sit down with Jesus. Luke actually uh, records this. It makes you think back to Luke chapter 24. Luke records two disciples who followed Jesus and studied under Jesus during his ministry on earth and are kind of walking home, walking to another town. They are sad and confused that Jesus died and three days later, he's no longer in his tomb. And the guy that they're whining to is actually the resurrected Jesus himself. And this is what he says to them. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I don't know if you've ever been at um, an old person's house and God blessed them for inviting you over uh, for, for dinner or a hangout or whatever. But like after the dinner and dessert is done, the night is winding down. And young adults, this is, this is some game for you right here. You have two choices at this time of the night. You can thank them for inviting you over, spending time with you, pouring into you, and then you can make your way home and, and leave. Or if you don't want to go home, you got nothing to do, uh, the next day, or you, maybe you're an extrovert and you can spend another one to five hours with this couple, just make eye contact or just comment or, or look at a family photo. 
in the house. And then all of a sudden, like photo albums come out. Like I've never seen some people move so quickly when I've looked at some of these things. And, and you, you now like are getting context of, of the photo. Uh, you're getting context of the person who took the photo. You're getting more context from the other photos that led up to that same photo. And Lord help you, you now have a, a biography of this whole family from all that, from just looking or touching or commenting on this photo, whether accidentally or on purpose. This is me here. This is what I wore that day. This is what it felt like. You're getting every single thousand words for each single photo. Luke here says that Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Imagine what that would look like. See the skins made for Adam and Eve in the garden? Oh, this is a good one. Like the, 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 the lamb who was caught in a, a thicket of, of thorns for Isaac. God's going to bring judgments on the people of Egypt. And if you kill this lamb and, and, and smear it on your doorpost, then God will pass over. You see, that's all pointing towards me. Isn't it cool when you're able to read the Bible, the Old Testament, with that kind of lens? Imagine getting all the scriptures pointed out to you by Jesus, Paul would have got something similar to that. But why this way? Why, why is this necessary? I think God just wants us to, to have and grow and have faith-building evidence that there's a legitimacy, there's a consistency and accuracy to what it is that we believe in. Paul here actually gives us a creed, like a statement of faith, an apologetic, a defense or justification for this gospel that we believe in. You can look with me now in verse three to four. Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So to kind of break this down, Paul says Christ or, or, or Messiah, it just simply means anointed or anointed one, the promised savior and rescuer prophesied in the Bible. You can even look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse three, Paul makes sure that we understand that the man Jesus is God and that's necessary for salvation. And here in chapter 15, verse three, Paul's helping us understand that the same man, Jesus, is also the Christ, the one who, who has fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is not just a man who died, but he's actually the protagonist who fulfilled scripture down to a T. It says that the same person died for our sins. That, that word sin is missing the mark. It's, it's, it's the archer missing uh, his target or, or throwing down the bow and arrow in, in rebellion. Every thought or word or, or action that failed to meet God's standards, whether we tried to make it and, and it didn't, and didn't or, or refused and did not obey, that is sin. As we talk about the good news, it is helpful and, under, and, and we need to also understand the bad news. And the first time sin happened was after God made a good universe, a good planet, a good earth, and good man and woman. He gave them a standard. He says you can have everything in this garden except for that. But as you know the story, Adam and Eve, they've 
giving, they gave into temptation and gave into sin instead of holding fast and standing on the word and command that God gave them, they chose to not trust God and to find what is good for themselves. When you and I sin, we do exactly the same thing. The Bible teaches us that the consequence and punishment for sin is death and an eternity in hell. But the good news is that Christ comes and dies so that those who receive this message stand in it, hold fast in it, and do not face this penalty and consequence. Life for life is needed. God doesn't just sweep things under the rug. Punishment is placed on somebody else, someone that's taken our place. Paul says that Jesus was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Paul mentions burial to make sure that we understand that Christ really died, that professional uh, killers and torturers really killed Jesus on the cross. And that word raised here is used in, in the perfect tense. It means Jesus is still raised. He's still alive to this day, doing well, hearing our prayers, interceding for us, and still waiting to return to make all things right. Christ does this all in accordance with the scriptures. Let me show you up on the screen for you in relation to Christ. Paul says, and not Paul, but, but God says in Genesis chapter three, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here's a promise from God with a guaranteed outcome. Jesus fulfills this when he defeats Satan. Paul says he died. So in Psalm chapter 22, David says this, he's writing a song, and he says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. David writes this a thousand years prior without even knowing what crucifixion is, but yet describes to a T what Jesus went to. When crucified, you are in a position intended to make you suffocate in a slow and painful way. Your, your, your wrists and elbows and shoulders are dislocated so that you feel the, your own weight as you lift yourself on the cross to breathe, even with pressure against you. All that pressure is constantly on your chest. Jesus is literally being poured out while suffocating on his own blood internally. He is thirsty. He is mocked, surrounded by Roman Gentiles or dogs who rolled, who rolled dice, who casted lots to get his clothes. Paul also says that he died for our sins. Isaiah chapter 53 uh, says that, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus never sinned, but he came to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin, life for life for us to have peace with God. And kind of back to that photo album typology picture, Jesus says this of himself in Matthew chapter 12. Oh, sorry, before that, Psalm 16, to his resurrection, David says, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. 
for you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your holy one see corruption. Jesus knew that as gruesome as crucifixion was, that this wouldn't last forever. Although he was died and was buried, before his body would have been fully decomposed or bloated or decayed, he is now resurrected from the grave and says this about him in Matthew chapter 12. He says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The culture back then kind of timed differently, but Jesus died Friday, resurrected Sunday, and fulfills this very prophecy. This all happens in accordance with the scripture. This is what the church believes. If, and, and Paul's like, if you kind of need more evidence, look with me now in verse five. Paul says, and, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Paul tells us he appeared. He's, he's helping us understand that Jesus showing up is still a miracle. That he's not making this up. Paul's even believing the testimony of other Christians. He's, he's saying we can confirm this by just asking these guys. He, he, he visited Peter and the 500 witnesses and the disciples and James and the apostles and they're alive for the audience to go and ask for themselves. This is not like 500 people just reposting a post and joining a movement. This is 500 plus people in agreement with this creed and have seen Jesus resurrected from the grave and testify to this themselves. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16 out of 21 says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised, devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by majestic glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very vo voice born from heaven for we, for, for, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture ever comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's this sermon by Vodi Bakum on why he believes the Bible. And I'm just going to share with you this quote. He says, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report to us supernatural events and those events fulfill specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine and not human in origin. Christians, you and I are not are not dumb, and these guys did not make this up. It says faith. Paul even says in verse six that some, though some have fallen asleep, this could just be people who have died of, of old age or, or health, but Paul's more so speaking to those who were killed for believing this. James was thrown off the temple and stoned to death. Peter crucified upside down. Paul beheaded. Who in their right mind would die for a hallucination? And notice that they just sleep. 
and they sleep because this gospel is so saving. And as Pastor Ted will preach next week, uh, this, this isn't it. There is life after this. In verse 20 of chapter 15, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus again is alive, and those who have fallen asleep are coming back with him. At the end of the day, uh, this faith-building evidence is, is through the testimony of Scripture and other human beings, of the eyewitness testimonies. You can look into this yourself. God has nothing to hide. If you're like God, he, he's not afraid to answer our questions. You can go ask, you can search the scriptures and look for yourself. This gospel is tried and true. Again, our big idea was that because the gospel is tried and true, it is the most important news. But we gotta make sure that what we're believing in is it's a traditional and holistic gospel. In with the old. You know that song, Old Time Religion? It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good enough for me. If you remove any of these truths in this, in verses three to four, then you don't have the gospel according to Jesus and the apostles anymore. And out with the new. If, if you alter or distort the gospel, then you still don't have the gospel according to Jesus and the apostles anymore. Holding fast to the gospel also protects us from false teaching. So the gospel is tried and true, and the most important news because it has so saving effects, faith-building evidence, and lastly, it has life-changing empowerment. The gospel has life-changing empowerment. In verse 8, Paul says this. He says, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul makes it a point here to say that he is the last to see the resurrected Jesus. God's also protecting us from false teachers who would claim otherwise. Paul also illustrates that seeing Jesus and coming to faith is like an untimely birth. This can speak to the fact that he was the last one to see Jesus, but, Paul, but Paul's also trying to communicate that he, that he does not belong here, that he, he does not deserve life, that apart from Christ, he would really be dead. He says why in verse 9. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Who's someone that you know uh, that, that does not deserve life or does not deserve forgiveness for their sins? We should all be saying ourselves. Paul gives, Paul gives his own biography in Galatians chapter 1 on the screen for you. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him to the Gentiles. Paul went from destroyer of the church to builder, from persecuting its servants to now being one of the church's leaders. Imagine sitting under a sermon 
serving alongside him in ministry, knowing that he was responsible and a participant in the death and imprisonment and torture of your brothers and sisters in Christ. He would go to that church. But Paul's not the same person that he once was, and and neither are we. People can change, and that's only through God's grace and the gospel. Grace is just simply God's goodness that is given to a people who do not deserve it. Another way of thinking of grace is in, like an acronym, like God's, God's riches at Christ's expense. That the goodness of God is not free. It's given through a person. We receive goodness because, by, and through Jesus Christ. Paul says this in, verses, in, in verse 10. He says, but, the, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but a grace of God that is with me. Paul says that there's a grace that came toward him, and there's a grace with him that defines who he is. This is how Paul describes it in Galatians chapter 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul's saying he has a new life, and the old is done. Christ is living in, in him. He is someone new. I am what I am. He didn't just receive the word. He didn't just receive grace, but he's also standing and being saved and, or changed by it. He doesn't say Christ lived in him, but he says Christ lives in me. Paul continues to live by faith, holding fast to the gospel that has made him new. With an identity change, so does our purpose, goals, and desires. Does your life look like it has been changed for Christ? But Paul mentions something that can be confusing. He says in verse 10 again, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. <clears throat> Paul, Paul he, he, he works harder than any of them, the other apostles. And we can be asking ourselves, like, why is this in the Bible? Like, why isn't this, this knowledge just passed down amongst uh, church circles? I think God has this here in the word for us because God just knows how to deal with our guilt. See, God himself agrees with Paul that he is the lowest on the totem pole among his fellow apostles. God himself wrote this. Yet Paul was enabled and empowered and knew that he worked harder than the other apostles. He, he provided for himself. He was a tent maker. He didn't exercise his rights as an apostle and was a non-vocational church planter and pastor of Corinth. He didn't even, he, he, he took the disrespect, he didn't take the disrespect to heart when Christians talked bad about him or slandered him or thought less of him. You see, God's grace in Paul's life for his success and, let, and work in light of his past is not to earn his spot among the apostles, but to protect him from pride and guilt. By God's grace, which such a pass as Paul, he can never look in the mirror and say that he deserves his ministry and leadership. And by God's grace, still with Paul, 
both Paul and nobody else can say that he has any less in worth and dignity and ability as an apostle and leader in the, in the church because he works harder than everybody else. This is God's goodness to, and love to Paul that he himself does not deserve. Paul also says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that he is the least of all the saints, that God actually has this in scripture to protect us so that we would never look in the mirror and say that we are the worst Christians or that God's grace is not enough uh, for continued and empowered trust and obedience in our lives. That guilt will not cripple us by God's grace. Paul again says that uh, uh, I worked harder, though it was not I, but the grace of God in me. How does that make sense? Uh, John Piper has a book called Future Grace. And, and, and he says that the grace to will and work and accomplish is, is conditional to our desire and efforts to accomplish it. And so this is a quote that I grabbed from uh, his book. He says, when it comes to killing my sin, I don't wait passively for sin killing to be worked in me. I act the miracle. What he's saying is that trusting God does not put an end to trying. Uh, there, there needs to be a serious and strenuous desire and effort to trust and obey God. And God's grace will then empower us to succeed. Let me show you what that looks like. In Joshua chapter 1, God's speaking to Joshua and commanding him. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God tells Joshua the way to conquer the promised land and for God's promises to come to fruition is that he studies his Bible. It is, it is receiving and standing and being saved by holding fast to God's word that will enable God's grace in our lives to succeed. Paul says this in Colossians 1.29. He says, for this I toil struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. If you want access to God's energy, you have to toil and struggle with it, not for it. When you hold fast to his word, make realistic and faith-filled plans, douse yourself with prayer and have the necessary barriers and encouragements needed to help you do this. In his book, Piper, he phrases it like this. He says, believe this day that God will be at work in you for his good pleasure. That's how the grace of God works in us in such a way that we do the work, but yet it was not I. And then to wrap up in verse 11, Paul just says, whether then it was, it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. What Paul got from Jesus by revelation and what the apostles got from Jesus by living with him as his disciples was the same message. It, it remains the same to this day as well. In with the old, out with the new. Again, because the gospel is tried and true, it is the most important news. It has soul-saving effects. It is received and maintained and strengthened by faith. The gospel, uh, it has faith-building evidence. The gospel is backed by credible sources that still need to be believed by faith. And it also has life-changing empowerment. The motivation and ability to do and accomplish is, again, achieved by 
faith. Let's pray together now. So Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for your gospel. You don't just teach us about yourself, um, but you also teach us and prepare us for all the promises that you freely give to us so long as we believe and trust you. And God, I thank you for sending Christ, sending someone to uh, fulfill and do what we cannot do. Uh, he lived the perfect life and, and died the death that, uh, I, that I deserve and everyone in this room deserves. And so God, I thank you, Lord, that you've given us a way to know you, a way to uh, be forgiven and have a, a, a hopeful and promised future. We thank you, God, that Christ is enough. And we thank you, God, that this word is, is clear for us, that we can just look in your scripture and, and have confidence of what it is that we should, we should believe in. But God, it requires faith, and faith is a gift. And so God, I just pray that as your spirit uh, spoke um, and that, 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 that you till hearts, that you, that you allow people to hear your word and, and not just receive it in joy, with, with joy and, and forget about it or not truly believe it, but for it to go deep into the heart for salvation. And then I pray that uh, it encourages others as well. So I pray this all in your name. Amen.